Romans 3, verse 25, whom God has set forth, speaking of our Savior, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, not yours, you don't have any, his righteousness, that he might be just and he might be righteous and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God set forth our Savior to be a propitiation. First John chapter 2, the first two verses. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The spiritual life of the believer in Christ begins this lesson with the short overview of reconciliation and the peace which he provides to the believer. Dr. Mitchell goes on to present the truth of propitiation. And what is propitiation? It is God's part in the cross of his Son, Jesus Christ. Propitiation is foremost a benefit provided to God's holy character. It is the means by which God is now able to show his love, his mercy, and his grace to the one who trusts in Jesus Christ. Propitiation provides God's continued righteousness in view of him declaring a sinner righteous without violating his own holy character. The blood of Christ on the cross vindicated God's holy character and integrity before all created beings for all time and all eternity. Praise God. Here's Dr. Mitchell, Propitiation, Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 26 on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Having accepted this reconciliation, we have peace with God. No longer a barrier between us and God. But I've got a responsibility now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him, this is the foundation of it all, he hath made him who knew no sin. We might be made the righteousness of God in him. Or as the old lady used to quote it, he who knew no sin was made sin for me who knew no righteousness, that I who knew no righteousness might be made the righteousness of God in him. In him. 
God's ambassadors. Don't you forget that. Beseeching men. That's why we're still here. That's why you're here. If you love the Savior, you've got a job. You're down here as an ambassador for Christ. You know, if I could see, we sing it, is your name written down in heaven? Do you remember that? Huh? Well, supposing here's all your name. Here's your name. Well, there's a mark alongside of it. There's a bunch of other names. Then there's your name. And there's another one there. You go through a few more, and that's my name. Mark alongside the bottom of the page, what the mark means. Away on business. <laughs> well, uh, Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship was where? In heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior. So if I belong to heaven, what in the world am I doing down here? I'm his representative. I'm an ambassador beseeching men to be reconciled to God. You know, an ambassador never works when he's home. It's always in another country. He's representing his country in another land. And before war can take place, the ambassador takes the, the word from his government and hands it over to the other government, declaring war. Then he goes home. One of these days, God's going to declare war upon this world because of its corruption, its sinfulness. Before he does that, he's got to call what? Every ambassador home. I suppose you want a scripture for that, don't you? Well, I would suggest uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, the last two verses. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who hath delivered us from the wrath to come. Thessalonians 5, 9. God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. But today, the wrath of God, the judgment of God is not falling upon men. Peace has been made. Reconciliation. He's made peace. To be effective, you must accept that peace. And having accepted that peace, Experiencing forgiveness, experiencing relationship with the living God, experiencing that peace which passeth all understanding. Now I've got a job to represent my Savior to men. I don't know where God's going to put you, young people. Each one of us are very special to God. Remember that. As 1 Corinthians 12, 27 declares, you know, we are members one of another, but members in particular. You're very special to God. And he's gifted every one of you different. You've got a different personality. Don't try and be like the other fellow. You can't imitate spiritual gifts, but he's got a job for you to do. And the main job is what? By your life, by the way you live, by your testimony, you're beseeching men to be reconciled to God, that they may enjoy that peace. All right? That's all I'm going to say about reconciliation. And third one is propitiation. P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. Have you got it? Propitiation. <laughs> Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Here you have the, the special verse. I'm going to give you this. This is the heart of the gospel. Propitiation has to do what God has in Christ at the cross. 
That's the most important thing. What does God have in the cross? Romans chapter 3. Let me read, open your Bibles and turn with me. I want you to turn to two passages. Romans chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I um, want to take the time to do this. Sometimes I think I quote too many scriptures. You forget them. See them in your own Bible. Do you read your Bible every day? Huh? Yes. That's three of you. Do you read your Bible every day? Yes. All right. You don't have to shout at me like that. <laughs> All right, Romans 3, verse 26. Oh, pardon me, verse 25. Get my eyes right on this thing. 25. Whom God hath set forth, speaking of our Savior, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Not yours. You don't have any. His righteousness. That he might be just, and he might be righteous, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God set forth our Savior to be a propitiation. First John chapter 2, the first two verses. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I think possibly what we need to realize is this. And I say this very kindly because I'm troubled about it. How much do you know personally of God? Do you ever see him in the scriptures in his absolute holiness, absolute righteousness? How can man come, ever come in the presence of God? He looks upon man's goodness and said, your righteousness is in my sight as filthy rags. Can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean? I can multiply the scriptures, man's condition. We've already had that. How can a holy, righteous God look down upon you and me and do anything for us? How can he get rid of these? How can a holy God get rid of our sins? How can he manifest grace to us? How can he reconcile us? How can he be satisfied? How can he reach us with sin between? And he's an absolutely holy, righteous God. So the third work we have of our Savior is not only redemption having to do with sin, not only reconciliation with the world, but now the most important thing is what God has at the cross. It is not that Christ died to secure man's righteousness. 
Man thinks he has some. Oftentimes, people say, well, Mitchell, I'm as good as you are. Well, that's okay. I generally say, is that what you're going to tell God, eh? <laughs> I'll tell you this. When a man says, Mitchell, God will never cast me out. I'll say, brother, when you get one glimpse of God, you'll be glad to get out of his presence. When you see him in his holiness, in his absolute righteousness, how can a man stand? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the most important thing he did was to satisfy, to vindicate the holy, righteous character of God. God was satisfied with his work. You take down some scriptures like Isaiah chapter 53, for example, 53.10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, yet put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Take that whole chapter of Isaiah 53. When I think of what our Savior went through, when I look at Isaiah 52, for example, 50, 51, I gave my back to the smiters, I gave my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair, I hid not my face from shame or spitting, but he that standeth by me will justify me. The last verse of chapter 52, his face was marred more than any man's. What a price he paid to satisfy the holy, righteous character of God. Listen, young people. It's not what you have in the cross that's important. Though it is important. But the great thing, what does God have? God is free now to pick up hell-deserving sinners, transform them into his children. And as we see in our lesson, count them righteous. Cover them with the righteousness, the robe of his righteousness, as Isaiah declares. To stand before God, have intimate fellowship with a holy, righteous God. No work of man could ever fix that. All that God has against sin... Christ was made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He hath made him to be sin for us. God made him to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God. How can sinful man ever come to the presence of God? You know, men have greatly misunderstood God. Men have got a misconception of what God is like. Or oh, we talk about God is love, and we emphasize the fact that God is love. There's no question the very, very heart of God is love. But we forget something. He can't manifest his love apart from the vindication of his holy, righteous character. You take, you take, for example, this verse comes to my mind right away. Take Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. Remember that verse? 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in this gospel is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Oftentimes we talk about our sinfulness and God has cleansed us from our sins. We forget the removal of sin doesn't fit me for the presence of God. I need more than that, as we shall see in our next lesson. What I want to get to your heart is that God is perfectly, perfectly satisfied with the work of his son. I, I'm, I'm just, as the psalmist says in the 85th Psalm, verse 10, mercy and truth hath kissed each other. I kind of like that. And that verse I said a while ago in Isaiah 32, 17, the work of righteousness is peace. The effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And this was accomplished at the cross. And there's a verse I want you to get. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Here is where it was established. Romans 8, 32. God spared not his own son. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? God spared not his own son. I can't put into words what I feel about this. God spared not. When Christ took your place, remember, he not only died for your sins, but he died for you. He died for me. When Christ took your place and my place, bought our sins, God spared not his own son. I think the 22nd Psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you ever think of it? The sinless one. They took the sinless one who had fed them and cast out their demons healed their sick, opened blind eyes, cleansed lepers, raised the dead. He can't find anything in his life where there was a trace of sin. Yet to spit on him, put a crown of thorns on his head, the blood and spittle on his face, and scourged him, flesh and ribbons, took your place. Do you ever think of the cost? The cost to God. When I think of Genesis 22, for example, God said to Abraham, take now your only son Isaac and offer him up for a burnt offering. I'll tell you all. I want Isaac. The test is not Isaac. The test is Abraham. And you all know the story. They went along together. carrying the wood for the offering. And, and as they walked together, they had a little conversation, and Isaac said to his father, Dad, here's the wood. Where's your offering? Boy, what a test. So you're going to say, my son, you are the offering. No. He said, my son, God will provide an offering. So they went, both of them together. Both of them together. Servants left behind over here. 
both again together, right up to the place. Laid the wood in order and laid Isaac on the, on the wood. Now, don't think he's a boy about 12 years of age. Wouldn't surprise me, he's about 30 years of age. He's got to carry the wood three days' journey up a hill to Mount Moriah. God stopped him. God would not allow Abraham to go through the agony that he went through when he gave his beloved son. He spared not his own son. But dear my first of all, when I think of Second Peter chapter 2, uh, God spared not Sodom and Gomorrah. I understand that. God spared not the angels that sinned. I can understand that. God spared not the old world. I can understand that. But how do you understand this? God spared not his only son. He gave his only begotten son for you and me, and God was perfectly, perfectly satisfied. Jesus Christ vindicated the holy, righteous character of God. And God now is free to pick up hell-deserving sinners who come to him, cleanse them from sin, fit them for his presence, make them his children. God's character satisfied. Without, just, without propitiation, justification is impossible. They were dealing with righteousness, divine righteousness. And if God was not satisfied with the work of his son, then there'd be no salvation. Well, how do you know God was satisfied? God raised him from the dead and exalted him to his own right hand to be a prince and a savior. It's what Peter said in Acts chapter 4, 4 or 5, one of those chapters, to the leaders of Israel. Why didn't God judge man? No, he the just died for the unjust. He, the righteous one, died for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. There's one more thing. How can I receive this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Savior? Just by simple faith. Hmm? Romans 3, 25. In fact, I would suggest verse 24 and 25, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. Have you believed? I'm not asking you, have you ascended to the facts? When, I'm, when I talk about believing, have you put your trust in this Savior? Is he your Savior? Yeah. Is he your Savior? Then we ought to give. If he, if he sacrificed everything for you, heaven's greatest gift, the only begotten Son of God. The least I can do, the least you can do, is to what? 
give yourself wholly over to him. Now tomorrow we'll take up the next truth, justification. Just a word on that and then we'll pass along to the rest of them. Out from heaven's palaces, splendor filled and bright, came the King, and he came to bring to the world new life and light. What grace is this that brought my Savior down, that made him leave his glorious throne and crown? The one who made the earth, the sky, and the sea, who put the stars in every galaxy. What condescension, oh, how can it be? What shame he suffered, oh, what agony. And then the death he died For sinners crucified What grace is this? What grace is this? Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.